If you join me in Bible study tonight, please open up to the book of Jeremiah. We made it through verse 5 last week, but in my defense, we started it more than halfway through the night, right? We finished Daniel and started Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, the priest who in Anatoth in the land of Benjamin. There's still a lot of people looking at me and go, wait a minute, there's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Where's the kingdom of Benjamin? Well, Benjamin's part of the southern kingdom of Judah. Benjamin is the area where Jerusalem is. It's at the northern part of Judah, southern part of Benjamin. So in verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, or I ordained you a prophet to the nations. That word ordained means appointed. So before he was even conceived in the womb, God had, had appointed him to be a prophet to the nations. Notice not to Israel, not to Judah, but to all the nations of the world. In the book of Jeremiah, God is going to have Jeremiah prophesy hard against the southern kingdom of Judah, but then also to every other nation in the world to let them know that they are going to go into the same captivity as Judah and for the same reasons. Because they've turned their backs on God and failed to follow God's commandments. What does that do to the argument that, hey, the commandments are only for Jewish people? Yeah, when people say the commandments were only for Jewish people, your first question should be, when is the word Jew first used in the Bible? It's in 2 Kings. It's after the commandments were all given. It's after the Torah. It's not used in the Torah once. That should help us think. Hmm. And we sang tonight about the God of Israel. Did you catch that? The God of Israel? How many were offended that he's not just the God of Israel, he's my God? You are grafted into Israel in Romans chapter 11 or else watch, you're not in the new covenant at all. The new covenant's not with the Gentiles. It's with Israel. So how do Gentiles get into the covenant when they're grafted in? Hmm, a lot of people miss that. But not you. So verse 6, here's where we pick up tonight. Then I said, who's the I? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Ah, Lord God. And when you say it, put a little whine in your voice. Oh, Lord God. Yeah, behold, I cannot speak from a youth. Well, he's the son of the high priest. He's only 20 years old. That word youth is the Hebrew word na'ar. And how many senior clerics running around Israel would look at a 20-year-old and said, Hey, come tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, what's that? Yeah, get away, you snot-nosed brat. Don't they have to be thirty? Yeah, you don't start priesthood till at least thirty. Why did Messiah get baptized? As he was about to turn thirty, because he was entering his ministry as high priest. Yep. The other thing I want to show us about verse six. It says, "Ah, Lord God." You see that? It's not Lord God. It's my Lord. The Lord. The word God, which is Elohim, is not in that verse at all. The translators just didn't want to say, my Lord, the Lord. 
So what he's telling us is that the Tetragrammaton is his Lord. So the Tetragrammaton is the word translated God here, where it's normally translated Lord with capital L and small caps O-R-D. So he's saying, my Lord, you are the Lord. You're the only Lord. You're the only God. And I'm a little young man. It's not boy. That's a different word. But he's saying, I'm just a youth. I don't have the wisdom. And you know what? That didn't surprise God. That's why God said what he said in verse 5. Is that before you were even this little zygote or whatever the technical medical term is, I sanctified you. I ordained you. I appointed you to be a prophet. He said, I didn't need you to be 60 years old. I didn't need you to be 30 years old. I'm telling you to go. And what do we learn from the book of Jonah when God says go? Dot, 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 you better go. That's right. So verse 7 says, but the Lord said to me. Now you see the word Lord is spelled differently than in verse 6, huh? There's the tetragrammaton. But the Lord, and by tetragrammaton, I mean, of course, the four Hebrew letters, yod Hey vav Hey, the unpronounceable name of God that we call Adonai or Hashem, or simply the Lord. It says, do not say, I am a youth. For, what does for mean? Because, uh-oh, this says, I ain't taking your excuse. Don't give me excuses. For you shall go. Notice God didn't say, would you consider going? How about if I give you a nice ice cream cone, will you go? God says, for you shall go to all to whom I send you. It would be bad enough to go to your own nation. Where your father is the high priest and buddy-buddy with the king. But to think about going to all the nations of the world and telling them what they're doing wrong? Think that's intimidating? That's intimidating. Just think he's still doing it today. Yep, he's still doing it today. He wrote it down. He wrote it down so we today can hear it. Yep. When we go over the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, I have lots of people say, oh, oh, but I can't do that. I'm not wise enough. I'm not educated enough. God didn't say get educated enough. He said go. Go. God can give you all the words you need. Yes, Daniel. The disciples were Galileans. Be sure and say that like Alabamians or Georgians. Because that's exactly what the scribes and Pharisees meant is, hey, you guys are just common folk. You're not educated like moi. That's what they were saying. Yeah. Do not, yes. Isn't it also like what Moses said, I'll put the words in your mouth? Yep. Yep. So the Lord told the disciples, don't worry about what I say, I'll give you the words. If you have the faith to go, then God will be with you. Do not say I'm a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. You see any wiggle room in there? Does God need our permission? Uh, no. 
God gives him the, the necessary encouragement. And that is what? Go. Go and he will be with him. You shall go to all to my sin and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Which means God must be there with him in order to give him the words to speak. You and God are a majority. And God didn't need you. Right? So if God is with Jeremiah, Jeremiah can do this. Verse 8 says, do not be afraid of their faces. You know, Jeremiah would much rather have heard, hey, they're going to love you, boy. They're going to listen to everything you say and just eat up your words. And that isn't the way it's going to be, is it? They're going to despise him. They're going to hate him just like he thinks they're going to. But he says, do not be afraid of their faces. For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. They're going to try and kill Jeremiah. Can they kill Jeremiah? No, because God said what? I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. If God is with you, then what does it matter who's against you? Verse 9. Then something miraculous happens. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. First thing we've got to know is what? This is not the first time that the Lord has had himself or an angel touch the mouth of a prophet. Go to what? Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. Yeah. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. Remember the great song by the guess who called She's Come Undone? They've read the Bible. And remember the song we sing, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Here it's from chapter 6, verse 3 of Isaiah. We'll start in verse 1 of Isaiah to set the context. In the year that King Uzziah died... I, I is Isaiah. Isaiah's been dead a long time by the time Jeremiah's prophesying. Saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. What is that? That's Revelation chapter 4. That is the day of the Lord. The rapture and resurrection. And the train of his robe filled the temple. That's just a picture of his majesty. How many of you saw the coronation of King Charles III? And the, one of his grandsons was one of the four boys assigned to help carry the train behind the king. The Lord's train needed a lot more than four boys to carry, I'm sure. Above it stood Seraphim. Seraphim is an angelic being. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. Why? Even the Seraphim cannot look on the face of God. Yes, ma'am. Will we ever be able to see God? Of course. I know we'll see Jesus, but I know they're the same. But in a sense, like this is saying, they couldn't even look upon him, and they're there with him all the time. Correct, but yes, there will be a time that we will. With two, he covered his feet. What did God tell Moses in the movie? Take off your shoes, because you're standing on holy ground. And with two, he flew. So good thing he had six. 
Then one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy. Never did they cry holy once, twice, or four times. Three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That phrase, Lord of hosts, is Adonai Zavaot. It's there to tell us what kind of prophecy is this. In times, it didn't happen 2,700 years ago. Isaiah had a vision of the day just ahead of us. Paul, earth is full of his glory. That happens in his kingdom, right? So the purpose of this prophecy is to talk about bringing people into the kingdom. Did God want to wait until 2,700 years after Isaiah for people to start coming in the kingdom? No. It says, the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. What's that smoke from? Incense. And what's in that smoke? The prayers of the saints. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, meaning I am a dead man. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. They've seen the King... That's our Messiah Yeshua sitting on this throne in Revelation 4. He is the Lord of hosts. He is Adonai Zavaot. Then one of the seraphim flew to him, to me, having in his hand a live coal. What's it mean, a live coal? It's burning. It's on fire. Which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it. And said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. <clears throat> Touch the lips of the prophet. Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. The word angel in Hebrew, malach, means messenger. It's one who speaks on behalf of another. That's why Messiah Yeshua in the scripture is oftentimes referred to as the angel of the Lord. Because he comes and he speaks the words that his father gives him. In John 14, start with verse 9. After Philip asked, show us the father... Yeshua bangs his head on the wall a couple times. Well, it didn't actually say that, but I'm sure it happened. <laughs> Yeshua said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Meaning one and the same. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. So where do the words that Messiah speaks come from? Come from the Father. So what does that do to the doctrine to say, well, God said A, but Jesus came to change everything God said. They're working in tandem. They're together. He's speaking the words of the Father. He's not speaking something contrary to the Father. He makes that very clear again in verse 23 and 24 of the same chapter. John 14, 23 and 24. Yeshua answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. What's it mean to keep my word? It means to obey my commandments. 
And my father will love him. We will, make, we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the fathers who sent me. <coughs> Meaning the words are not going to differ. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10, verse 16. Daniel, Daniel chapter 10. <coughs> we'll start in verse 14 just for context. The key verse is 16. We'll start in Daniel chapter 10 as soon as you found it. While you're turning there. On the door of our house is a mezuzah. Many of you guys probably have one there too. And off, what's that? I'd like to know where to get one. Where to get one? Go online. Go to the Jesus Boat website. Jesus Boat, B-O-A-T. It's a messianic place in Israel on the Sea of Galilee that display a boat from the time of Messiah. It's called Jesus Boat. Spelled mezuzah. How do you spell mezuzah? M U. Z, I'm sorry, M-A-Z-U-Z-Z-A-H. It means doorpost. Mezuzah. And when you go in a house, a lot of people will touch their hand to it and then bring it to the mouth. And I've heard people get offended and go, they're kissing that doorpost. No, they're not. What they're doing is symbolically bringing the words of God which are in the mezuzah to their lips, bringing matter? God's word to the lips. Does it matter what scripture you put in there? There are traditional ones, but you can put anything you want. And saying that the word of God is the sweet Yep. Normally you put Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 14. By the same token, we have bar mitzvahs, and the bar mitzvah carries the Torah scroll around. A lot of people put their Bible up to it and into the lips or put their tzitzit on it and up to the lips. And I've heard people say, they're kissing the Torah scroll. No, no, they're trying to bring the words of God to their lips, just like they're doing symbolically here in the Bible by touching the lips. But by now you're at Daniel 10, I'm sure. So let's start in verse 14 for context. The key verse is 16. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the Achritayamim, the end of days, end days prophecy. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Why? To give him the words of God to share with you and I, as well as with his own people. And that's the Malach, or Malach, the, the angel. Yes, the word angel there is Malach. Of course, I don't see the word angel. I'm looking for it. The likeness of the sons of men is that. So that's not going to be the word angel. No. Right. It just means that the angelic messenger looked like a person. Remember the scripture says you may have entertained angels unaware. Well, if they were all seven feet tall with big broad wings and halos, which they don't have. Yeah. 
you, you would recognize that that was an angel. Okay. Back to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10. Let's, let's deal a little more with verse 9 first. Then the Lord put forth his hand. God in heaven is a spirit. When Messiah sits on the throne in Revelation 4, he's sitting in his resurrected body. That's how he has a hand. And touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. What is the word behold? Behold, is he nay? It means what? It means something very important, some very significance going on here. Pay attention. Listen to it. Put my words in your mouth. Verse 10 says, See, I have this day set you over the nations, plural, and over the kingdoms, plural. He's talking about all the kingdoms and nations of the world. To root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Babylon is not just going to rule over Judah. It's going to rule over all the nations of the world. When they're overthrown by Medo-Persia, Medo-Persia will rule over all the nations of the world, etc. How many of you were taught that growing up in Sunday school? That all of the world was brought into captivity because they refused to follow God and keep his commandments. That was kind of missing from my education, but I'm catching up. Verse 11, moreover, what's moreover mean? In addition to what I just said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, boy, how many times do you see that phraseology in the scriptures? Who is the word of the Lord? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He is the word of God. So a lot of people say, how can the word come saying? Because it's referring to Messiah. The word of the Lord came to me saying. What's that word saying? What follows is a quote. Jeremiah, what do you see? I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. How many have that in your Bibles? It's wrong. Scratch out the word branch. It's not. It's the word rod. Rod. R-O-D. Rod. I can see people out there and go to meeting land scratching their heads going, so? Why is that significant? Because Aaron's rod, uh-huh, was what kind of a branch? It was a rod made out of the branch of an almond tree. And how did God signify that he chose the tribe of Levi, which was Aaron's tribe? Because he chose that rod. What is the Hebrew word for rod used in that story? Mateh. What's the Hebrew word for tribe? Mateh. It is one and the same word. Yes, Warren? Oh, sorry. Ah, no problem. This is a different word here. That's why I said the word that was used there. But the word that's used here still means rod. And it's going to make Jeremiah think back to the fact that God chose a rod when he chose the man. So let's go back and look first 
at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4. There's a reason we've got different words here. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 4. Let me make sure everybody's muted. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 4 says, Which had the golden censer, that's the Holy of Holies of course, and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Let's go back now to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 17. Numbers chapter 17 verses 1 through 9. Why did God make Aaron's rod blossom with ripe almonds? <coughs> Numbers chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. Let's see why God did that. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each father's house, that is, from each of the twelve tribes. All their leaders, according to their father's houses, 12 rods. Write each man's name on his rod. Therefore, there's going to be no claim later. Hey, that was my rod that budded. Write the tribe's name on the rod. You shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. You shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting. That's a tent. You know that. Before the testimony, that's the Ark of the Covenant, where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they make against you. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece. For each leader, according to their father's houses, twelve rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. When it says before the Lord, what does that mean? It's on the east side. That's what it means, on the east side. It would be in his face, but it's on the east side of the tabernacle. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. Now, wait a minute, that's in one night. It went from a dead stick to a tree with ripe almonds. I bet they were good almonds, too. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to, well... That's enough of that. We understand what's going on. Let's go back to Jeremiah. Because there's more to what's going on here. There's a play on words. Why a rod of an almond tree? Well, it indicates a selection by God. 
Then the Lord said to me, verse 12, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. So what's the significance? Jeremiah, if you don't believe me that I chose you, what did you just see? The rod that budded? I chose you just like I chose Aaron. Aaron's an ancestor of Jeremiah. He was the first high priest. Jeremiah is not high priest, but he's in the priestly line. And apparently, God wants him to know that I'm not done choosing the tribe of Levi. Thank you very much. And the almond tree symbolizes swift and efficient action because it blossoms well before other trees of the land. So, so that's the significance when he says, I am ready to perform my word, but there's a play on words here. Get out your Hebrew pencils. That's the one with the eraser on the other end. <laughs> the word almond tree is shockade. S-H-A-Q-E-D. Shockade. S-H-A-Q-E-D. Some people would say S-H-A-K-E-D. All that matters is put down English letters that make you say shockade when you're done. That's the almond tree, the shockade. The word ready here in Hebrew is shokade. S-H-O-Q-E-D. So one's S-H-A, there's S-H-O. Shokade. And in biblical Hebrew, there are no vowels. So they will be spelled exactly alike. But Jeremiah is going to see the significance. As God chose the tribe of Levi, of which I'm a part, to be his servants, well, that includes me, God says, I'm ready to go, so take that rod and get with it. I'm sorry, I was writing, what was the second? Second word is shokade, S-H-O-Q-E-D. Spelled exactly the same way except S-H-O instead of S-H-A. Shokade means ready. Ready. So Jeremiah is saying, hey, hey I'm, I'm just a young man. Why don't you let me grow another 20 or 30 years? Then, then we'll talk. And God says, you're going to where I send you. You're going to say what I command you. You're ready to go. Go. Hmm. We ready to go on? Verse 13. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time. The first time was the call. Second time, saying. What's that word saying? Quote. What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot. And it is facing away from the north. A boiling pot. Think back to war in those days. You got a walled city. Soldiers come up to the bottom of the walled city to put up ladders and what do people pour over the sides? Boiling oils, boiling pots. This is a picture of war that is coming. 
And where does the war always come from when you're in Jerusalem? The from the north. Doesn't the pot also signify Jerusalem too? The pot also signifies Jerusalem. Those inside, Jeremiah is going to say later, are going to be like in a boiling cauldron. And it's facing away from the north, which means they're turning their back away, like they're pretending it's not even happening. Yeah, they're pretending it's not even happening, but this is talking about what? The Babylonian invasion, it's coming. <laughs> Is coming. Wait a minute. Aren't they in the Babylonian captivity when Jeremiah starts to prophesy? No. Pull out your chart of prophets and kings. Jeremiah is called to be a prophet in the 13th year of the reign of King Josiah. Before Josiah ever is shown, hey, look what we found, the book of the law. They don't go into captivity until after Josiah is Jehoahaz, after him is Jehoiakim, after him is Jehoiachin, after him is Zedekiah. Then they go into the Babylonian captivity in full. Hmm. So why would God have Jeremiah see wars coming? And those who remain in Jerusalem are going to be like being in a boiling pot, as Daniel pointed out a minute ago. What did God tell the people to do when Babylon comes? Go with them. Go peaceably. That's where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into Babylon. Jeremiah stayed behind. Why didn't Jeremiah go? Because God told him to stay and prophesy. Yeah, Josiah was the godly king. It's the time of prosperity. Everybody thinks everything's great. And here's this 20-year-old kid, kid saying what? <laughs> Judgment's coming. Yep. So let's read on. Let's see how God explains this in verse 15. For behold. Here, I think the behold really meant shut up and listen, young Jeremiah. <laughs> I'm calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. Remember, Babylon will control the world. They shall come and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. So first will come Babylon, then will come Medo-Persia, then will come Greece, then will come Rome. It's the start of a series of nations that will rule over Jerusalem until the time Messiah comes. Against its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments. But there's not a period, is there? God's going to explain why judgment is coming upon Jerusalem and upon Judah and upon the world. I will utter my judgments. Remember, they're not going to be just against Judah. They're going to be against all nations. Against them concerning all their wickedness. What's a wickedness? Lawlessness. Because they have forsaken me. Burn incense to other gods 
and worship the works of their own hands. You realize that's more than one offense, right? When they forsake God, that's horrible. But they didn't just forsake God, they replaced God with a stick, a stone, or a lump of metal and said, This is better. Or all three. Can you see how offensive this would be to God? To cut down a tree, shape it, cover it with gold, and say, This is better than following him. And you had to make it. Because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, and worshiped the works of their own hands. So God made man, then man threw off God and made idols. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Deuteronomy 29. Is there any chance God warned them not to do this in advance? Deuteronomy 29. We'll start at verse 14. I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone. Meaning not just the people of that generation. So who's the covenant with? Verse 15. But with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. So it's for all people. It's for all time. For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt and that we came through the nations which you passed by and you saw their abominations and their idols which were among them, wood and stone and silver and gold. You saw it. And how did those idols bless those nations? Not at all. Verse 18, so that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. And that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. Talking about something that causes death, poison. Idolatry is like poison to the person and to the nation. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart. As though the drunkard could be included with the sober. What does it say about the idolater? What are the odds he's going to have a peaceful eternity? Zero percent unless he repents. So the unrepentant idolater tells himself, I shall have peace. What do those words even though tell you? I know what I'm doing. It's rebellious. It means they're deceiving themselves. They're being a false prophet to themselves. Verse 20, the Lord would not spare him. For then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man. And every curse that's written in this book would settle on him. 
And the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. Does that sound like a good thing? No. And the Lord would separate him from all the tribes of Israel for adversity according to all the curses of the covenant they're written in this book of the law. So that they, we'll read this. So that the coming generation of your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land would say, when he see the plagues of that land and the sicknesses which the Lord has laid on it. Where did the plagues and the sicknesses come from? They come from the Lord because of? Sin. Sin because of idolatry. Because of immorality. Because of uncleanness. The whole land is brimstone, salt, and burning. It's not sown, nor does it bear. Nor does any grass grow there. Like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. And I don't blame you if you say, where are those? Because, well, nobody really knows, do they? All nations would say, why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? Then people would say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods that they did not know that he had not given to them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against this land to bring on it every curse that's written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. The New Testament says we should learn lessons from the old. Is idolatry a good thing or a bad thing? Does saying, well, well, that was Old Testament change anything? It does not. Verse 29 says the same thing. Verse 29 says the same thing. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children is that word for a little while? It says forever that we may do all the words of this law. Well, how about Joshua chapter 24? <coughs> Joshua 24. Moses is dead at the end of Deuteronomy. Joshua has to lead the people across the Jordan River. Joshua chapter 24 beginning in verse 16. Joshua chapter 24, verse 16. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. What's that mean? We would never do a thing like that. Yeah. See that word, serve? It's the Hebrew word avad. means to do the work of, to do what they tell you to do, to follow their commandments instead of God's. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt. From the house of bondage. Who did those great signs in our sight. And preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people to whom we passed. 
And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you've got to fix your Bibles. You cannot serve the Lord. Literally says, you will not be able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. So Joshua knows that Moses told the people when you cross the land, you're going to turn away from God and you're going to serve idols. People are going, no, he won't, no, he won't. Joshua says, yeah, you're going to. And we may do that in a minute. <laughs> yes, Doc? Uh, was there punctuation in the Hebrew? Nope. Okay, because they, 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 they just made a statement in New King James versions that God will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins, but God does forgive transgressions and sins. They put a period there. He won't forgive them if. And that's how you read it, without that period. So God is merciful and he does forgive. But it takes repentance. Yeah. Yeah. So what Joshua is saying is, you're not going to repent. You're going to turn away from God. You're going to flaunt it in his face. Moses said that. Yep. And what does Messiah tell us in Matthew chapter 23? I sent you prophet after prophet and you just killed them all. That got rid of the problem. Yep, the prophets were calling people to repent and they didn't want to hear it. Let's go to Judges. <laughs> you knew it was coming. Judges chapter 2, verse 12. Start in verse 11. So we'll start in verse 11 to really spearhead it. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. What does Baal mean? Husband. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. What do you do to forsake the Lord? I forget. You stop following his commandments. And they followed other gods from amongst the, the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. If you read verse 10, it's the generation that followed Joshua. Yes, so long as Joshua is alive, the people were fairly loyal to the Lord. But as soon as Joshua is gone, when a cat's away, the mice eat the dog. But why didn't they know the Lord? It's going to tell us why, if we keep going. It's because they love the other nations more than they love God. They want to be like the other nations. Why did they demand a king? Because the other nations had a king. 
They want to serve the pagan gods with all the sexual immorality because the other peoples get to. So, so, I mean, am I incorrectly reading into it that they didn't know the Lord because their fathers didn't teach them? Or didn't teach them correctly? Or? It's more that they didn't want to learn. Okay, back to Jeremiah chapter 1. Verse 17. Therefore. What does therefore mean? Is there a judgment coming? Therefore, prepare yourself and arise. Who's he speaking to? Jeremiah. What does it mean, prepare yourself and arise? It means get up and get going. And speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. Meaning, don't let them intimidate you, because I can intimidate you much, much worse than they can. So it's don't let them intimidate you, dot, 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 or else. So Jeremiah is fresh out of excuses. Beyond just a youth, I can't go do it. That's not going to work. The Lord said, I will be with you. I will deliver you. Now go. Verse 18. <laughs> For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar. What about fortified cities and iron pillars? They were hard to conquer, right? They were well defended. And if a fortified city has iron pillars holding up its walls, they're going to be unbreachable. And they are unbreachable because God is the wall. And bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against his princes, against his priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. You know where it says bronze walls, he's going to be pronouncing judgment on all of these nations because that's what bronze. Yeah, bronze signifies judgment. The prophet is going to be preaching judgment if you don't repent to not just Judah, but to all the nations all around the world. And what God is telling you in verses 18 and 19 is they cannot hurt you, but I can. I used to say that's a veiled threat, but well, it's not very veiled. Did Jeremiah come before or after Jonah? He comes after Jonah, which means what? Do you think Jeremiah's ever read Jonah? Do you think Jeremiah knows what God means by they can't hurt you, but I can? Jonah came before the fall of Nineveh. Exactly. Yeah. So Jeremiah knows when God says, I said go, that it's time to go. But not for you. It's not time for you to go yet. We get to go to chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, 
go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, wait a minute, why would we put a word like saying there? God's going to give him the very words, right? He's going to speak the very words, not change them. And when it says go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, is that just a soft, let me go hide in the corner and talk? He's going to have to proclaim it across the land. Yeah, toot the horn and holler. Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, thus says the Lord. I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Where was the betrothal of Israel to the Lord? It's in Exodus chapter 19. So let's go over to Exodus chapter 19. Uh, would you believe the Lord remembers what the people said all the way back in Exodus chapter 19? In the hearing of Jerusalem, it literally says in the ears of Jerusalem. Yeah, that means he's not standing in a corner whispering. He's going to be shouting it to the masses, to the multitudes, for everyone to hear. Yep. Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 9. Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 9. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountains, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. What does this mean? God has shown what? Great blessing to the children of Israel. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice. What does it mean? Obey my voice. Shema B'Kolo. It means to keep the commandments, right? And keep my covenant, then. Wait a minute, if there's an if, then. What if we don't meet the if? Then we don't get the blessings. Mm. Then it shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. That offers the betrothal. When the bridegroom offers the betrothal to the bride, does he have to accept? Nope, that's why it's conditional, if. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and lay before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's the acceptance. That's the betrothal. So what did they say in the betrothal? Whatever you command us, we will ignore. No, we will do. They said we're going to do it. That's why this is where Jeremiah starts. Let's go back to the beginning. 
You didn't have to become my people. You didn't have to accept my betrothal, but you did. And what promise did you make to me? Everything I say, you will do. So that's verse 2. I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. If you love God, you'll what? Keep his commandments. When you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. What's the significance of that? Would they have survived in the wilderness if God had not provided manna from heaven? If he had not provided water from the rock? Did God do everything for Israel he promised he would do? Yes. Did he let them down in any iota? No. Verse 3. Israel was holiness to the Lord. That's how they started out. Holy means to be set apart. They were set apart to the Lord. By God. They were set apart to the Lord by the commandments. That's what makes them different from the nations of the world. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him, that is Israel, will offend. Disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. So the Lord has been defending Israel, has been protecting them, keeping the enemies away. Protecting their land. God did everything he promised to do. Verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Anybody think that sounds like a suggestion? (laughs) Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob and all the families of the house of Israel. When you see Jacob and Israel in the same sentence like this, Jacob refers to unrepentant and Israel to repentant. So who is he speaking to? Everybody. Everybody. Hear the word of the Lord. (laughs) Means all, y'all. It just breaks my heart to think that today amongst the churches who call themselves after God's name, if you say, why don't you keep his commandments? They say you're in a cult. We need to learn. Verse 5. Thus says the Lord. Who said it? The Lord. Then it doesn't matter whose mouth is speaking, that Jeremiah is only 20 years old. If these are the words of the Lord, who should listen? Everybody. Everybody. In verse 5, thus says the Lord, what injustice have your fathers found in me? How did I let you down? What promise did I fail to keep? What blessing did I fail to provide? How did I fail to do my part? What injustice have your fathers found in me? That, that is, that was their motivation that caused them that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters. What did God do wrong that justifies this kind of rebellion? Yeah, I don't think Jeremiah heard a lot of people going, hey, well, God failed to do this and God failed to do that, because, well, he didn't. 
Oh, my. Verse 6. Neither did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt? In other words, instead of making idols, they should have sought after God. That's a lot of what's happening now, today in this world, because no one really knows the voice of God anymore because they don't seek God to hear God. I mean, for, for those of us who love God and we do our best to keep his commandments, we're being stone stones at or whatever. I mean, but, but did the Lord tell us that would happen? Yes, he did. But we, they had no concept of what's in here. I had a person tell me today, well, I don't believe like you do. I said, well, how do you know what I believe until you read the Bible? You've never read it. Yep, yep. And I have the same experiences, and people say, I don't want to read the Bible. Mm -hmm. I don't have to read the Bible. The Holy Spirit tells me what I need to know. I don't need to study the math book. I can just do math in my head. Yeah. In which of the <coughs> chapters of the Bible does it say test the spirits because they're not all from God? Yep. Yeah. Instead of turning to it at the moment, it's coming up. So... <laughs> yeah. So verse 6 is trying to say, if I have failed you in some way that justifies your turning away to these idols, let me see it. Let me hear it. What did I do? If we could blame someone, you know, this is a great generation of blaming. You know, if it's somebody else's fault, it was never mine. We could say our fathers and our grandparents... They were supposed to teach us this generation after generation after generation. Dipper, they were supposed to. teach us, they let it go to the side. Right. And it's going, gone down a forget-me river. Yep. So it's a good thing God gave us the Bible in two eyes. In two eyes. Amen. And the yep. huge availability today, since the printing press, everybody owns more than one Bible, really. They just I'm, won't read it. Yep. Looks good on their table. Even, even in the back in the time of Ezekiel. Even in the back in the time of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, or the Lord told Ezekiel, don't say. The, the Lord told Ezekiel, don't say. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the son's teeth are set on edge. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the son's teeth are set on edge. That means the fathers are not responsible for the sins of the son. Yeah, the fathers are not responsible for the sins of the sons or the sons responsible for the sins of the fathers. Who's responsible for the sin? Yeah. The individual. So even back then, when they didn't have a. Even back then, when they didn't have printing presses and Bibles everywhere. God said, "It's still an individual relationship. You have to make the decision." God says, "It's still an individual relationship. You still have to make a decision." If there's anyone out there who doesn't have a Bible, let me know. I've got plenty. I'll share. But. But you do have to pick it up and read it before it can help. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of learning the Bible by osmosis, by putting it under your pillow, hasn't worked yet. I tried, huh? I tried. <laughs> so, back to Jeremiah 2. Verse 7. 
After issuing the challenge in verses 5 and 6, tell me where I went astray. God says, well, let me see if I can discover where I went astray. Verse 7, I brought you into a bountiful country. Maybe that's what I did. No, no. I so did I went, I did it. To eat its fruit and its goodness. When you entered, you defiled my land. And made my heritage an abomination. Started right off with that golden calf. Yep. But he's talking about when it came into the land. When Joshua led him into the land, they moved into cities they didn't have to build. The crops were ripe in the fields that they didn't have to plant. And as soon as Joshua was gone, they turned away from God. How many years were that? How many years? Not more than 40. Actually, not more than 40? Oh, no, not more than 40. Don't you think they, in moving into all those houses they didn't build, they found idols? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, and they said, oh, oh, guess what? I mean, that's the abomination. That's, yeah. They turned from God so willingly is the problem. That is the problem. What did God do for Israel? Everything. What did those idols do? Nothing. And, and yet they prefer the idol over God. Because the idol lets them live in the world. Whereas God requires us to exercise some self-control and discipline. As a matter of fact, God gives us through Torah the basis for law and civilization in all lands of the world. Yes. Without that being given from God, we would be like a bunch of apes in the jungle. We yep. would have no concept of anything because God, from Adam on, God gave us everything that's good. Yep. Everything acceptable. Yep. So let's look at the scriptures that support verse 7. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 18 first. We'll check. Did God do all these things that he said? Go to Leviticus 18, starting in verse 26. I have come to love that book. Good. Leviticus chapter 18, verses 26 to 30. After warning Israel in verses 24 and 25 not to be like the pagans that are being cast out of the land. Verse 26 it says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations. Either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. Jew, non-Jew, doesn't make any difference. God cast out the Amorites for these abominations. Is God going to allow his people to do them? No. Verse 27, For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. Lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations... The persons who commit them shall be cut off from amongst their people. 
Therefore you shall keep my ordinance so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. So the Amorites did these idolatrous, immoral, abominable things and God said, that's why I cast them out of the land and gave it to you. But the same demonic spirits that was in that land when they came in stayed. They had to have enough wisdom to resist the devil and he'll flee from them. Yep, but they didn't do that. Instead, they embraced him. Yeah. So let's go to Deuteronomy 7. Yes, ma'am. I don't think it would have changed. They would have been woke. Look at the world today, and it has not changed. Anything has got worse. Yeah. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 25 and 26. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 25 to 26. Joshua led the children of Israel into the land of Canaan. Joshua did. And then there were 400 years of the judges. And then we have King Saul, King David, King Solomon. Then the land split. And how many years later did the northern kingdom go into captivity? About 200 years. A little over 100 years later, the southern kingdom of Judah goes into captivity. We're not talking about thousands of years passing. And how many prophets did God send? If you look at your sheet of kings and prophets that I sent out again recently, at the same time, as Jeremiah, we have Huldah prophesying, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Ezekiel, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So it's not like the people can say, hey, how are we supposed to know? But those prophets that were preaching repentance, they kept putting to death because they didn't want to hear it. I have a big problem with the modern prophets of today because they don't prophesy repentance they don't prophesy righteousness they tell us who's going to be president in three years my daughter sent me a video of her talking to a nurse today Uh uh, at their break and she told her that she got her prophecy from Perry Stone was prophesying over America. Yeah. I said, okay, what does America got to do with God and a prophecy? Let's go to Israel and let's follow him. Yeah. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 25 to 26. You shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. So yes, when it came into the land, the people had left pagan idols behind. What should the people have done? Burn them. Couldn't they just take the gold and silver from them? No. What did Moses do with the golden calf? He burned it. If you shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire, shall not covet the silver or gold that's on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. 
nor shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest it and utterly abhor it, for it's an accursed thing. You almost get the idea God doesn't like them. You know, you go to Israel, though, and some of those museums, they have collections of these idols. Yes, they do. They have collections of those idols in Israel. Is Israel following God's commandments? No. No, they're not. That's why the tribulation period's coming. And that's exactly what you're told not to do, and yet we want to make it here. Everybody look at this. This is what it's not supposed to do. Yep, yep. Everybody come and enjoy these idols. No, yeah, you're wrong. You're right. Go to Deuteronomy 12. Verse 31. Let me throw out a question. And see how quickly you throw me out of the stage. <laughs> Why didn't God ever tell people that sin is bad? He did that's what the whole Bible's about from beginning to end. And yet, who was just on national TV but Oprah Winfrey oh, no. using the Bible to justify abortion, homosexuality, etc.? Deuteronomy 12, starting verse 31. You never know. She's certainly going to become a candle down in you know where. <laughs> Let's start in verse 28 because I'm getting all fired up now. Observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you. What's that next word? Forever. And then when you. When you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. When does it go well with you and your children? When you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. And that is observing and obeying all these words which I command you. And you know, that, that verse is so important because that shows it does not matter what it means to you. It matters what it means to God. That verse is so important, he says, because it's not what the words mean to me, but what the words mean to God. It really shows us God's own heart. Yeah. The way it goes right now, it's, uh, well, I read it and this is what my interpretation of it is. And so it doesn't matter, you know, if, you don't, if you're not going to build it up on line upon line, precept upon precept, then I'm going to tell you, you're in a mixer and you're going to be all mixed up. Yeah. Let's keep reading, though. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, those are the Amorites that God cast out of the land because of their sin that had defiled the land. And you displace them and dwell in their land. Take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them. In other words, don't live like they live after they're destroyed from before you and that you do not inquire after their gods saying, how did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. So it's not just don't worship the pagan gods. Don't worship the Lord our God the way they worship the pagan gods. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they've done to their gods. 
For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Easter, Christmas, etc. It hasn't been but a couple months since somebody said to me, to my face, yeah, but that doesn't apply to me. That doesn't what? Doesn't apply to me. Those verses, they don't apply to me. Isn't it a shame that Paul never said that once you get saved, stop walking like the Gentiles walk? That's, it's what God says right here. This Ephesians 4.17. Turn up to Ephesians 4.17. The word of God does not change. All this in Deuteronomy 12 goes back to... If you have faith in God... You're not going to change one word of what he says. You're going to say amen and do it. So be it, this is what you said, Lord. That's good enough for me. That's been my approach for many years now. If God said it, that's it. That's good enough for me. And you know, it's so easy with you know, our human nature to try to build fences and to try to add to it. It's just human nature. But yeah, it is human nature to try and change God's word. But we have to look at it at what does the word say. And Satan's been trying since the Garden of Eden to change God's commandments. And you know, that makes sense why Peter said the scripture is not a private interpretation. It's and why Peter said scripture is not a private interpretation. It says what it says. It says what it says. Look at Ephesians 4.17. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. So that means when we get saved, we're supposed to repent. What a concept, huh? We're supposed to repent, to change our lives, to be set apart by God's commandments, to obey him, to honor him, to love him. What is the love of God? 1 John chapter 5, that we keep his commandments. Go to Deuteronomy 14, verse 3. I had to limit the number of verses I wrote down here as comments, or we'd never get out of this chapter. But yet the next chapter is going to say the same thing, isn't it? <coughs> Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 3. We're going to start in verse 1 to see why verse 3 is important. You are the children of the Lord your God. Keep that in mind. You are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead. That's a pagan thing to do. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. Holy means set apart, different. What makes us different from the world is the obedience to God's commandments. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You shall not eat any detestable, meaning abominable, thing. Again, verse 1. You are the children of the Lord your God. Verse 2. You are a holy people, set apart to God. Verse 3. 
you shall not eat any abominable thing. Because what does the scripture say happens to your body when you eat those abominable, unclean things? You become, your soul becomes unclean. You become an abomination to God. Now, keep that in mind, those three points. And turn up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Especially if you might be having this discussion on Monday. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 6. <laughs> you don't know how many times I listen to the podcast in the week. Yeah. I go back and listen and take more notes and travel. and I just like it. Of course, I'm kind of in love with God. So. Good. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll start in verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll start in verse 16. What agreement is the temple of God with idols? In other words, what? No correlation. No accord. For you are the temple of the living God. So if you're the temple of the living God and God has no part in idolatry, Neither should you. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Remember back to Deuteronomy 14.1. Therefore come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Yes, ma'am? means to cling to, refuse to let go of, refuse to give up. It's not like my husband asking me to make him a ham sandwich and I refuse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, he's talking to people who grew up in the pagan world eating piggies and saying, you can't take my piggy from me. And he's saying, don't you cling to it? Because what does it say? Remember Deuteronomy 14.1, my children... Look at verse 17 again. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. What does be separate mean? It means be holy. Be separated from them to me. Do not touch what is unclean and I'll receive you. I'll be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He told us back in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14, if you're eating those things, you're an abomination to God. You are not his children. You're an abomination. I think Verse. translation might be a little bit off though, as far as touching because dogs and pigs can be petted. Of course. Can be loved as a pet. Yeah. So he's, he's not talking about don't wear a pair of shoes made out of pigskin or use a football. He's saying don't embrace this as a form of, uh, of disobedience to God. That's, right. These things are... They're not clean for you as far as food. In other words, don't cut it. And if you decide to make them... Don't food, refuse to give them up. Yeah, there are right. people that eat dogs in the world. You know, it's yeah. A, yeah. yeah, I've been to Korea. Yeah. But look at verse 7. I'm uh, sorry, chapter 7, verse 1. What was that? Where are we? Second Corinthians chapter 6. We just finished verses 17 and 18, and we're going to chapter 7, verse 1, the very next verse, which begins, therefore. Having these promises, the promise that if you will avoid these unclean things and be separated unto God, you can be his children. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. 
Who gets to choose what's filthiness to the flesh? I'm sorry, God does. Oh, yeah. does he? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. That's the point here. <laughs> and all filthiness to the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Holiness set apart was the fear of God, keeping his commandments. So how do we separate ourselves to God is through obedience. And if we're being obedient to God, do we make ourselves abominable through unclean things? Yes. Messiah rode a donkey, but he didn't eat the donkey. Right. So it doesn't mean it touches in, let me poke my finger through the fence and touch the olive tree in the Garden of Gethsemane. Same thing would have been eating uh, a clean animal that still had the blood in it. Yeah, don't do that. Oh, don't do that. Let's go back to Psalm 106. Yeah, yep. It does. And that comes right after Psalm 106, believe it or not. Again, you've been peeking at my notes. He does that all the time. I know the direction. He, he just knows where I'm going. It's, it's incredible. Well, we've been studying the same books. Psalm 106, starting in verse 34. They did not destroy the peoples. Talking about the pagans, the Canaanites, that they were taught to destroy them all. Concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles, where Gentile means pagan. They mingled with because they chose to. And learned their works, that is, they learned to be like them. They served their idols. That word served again is avad. They obeyed them. They did what they were told. Just put in your notes, Romans 6.16. The one you obey is the one whom you serve. And they serve their idols, which became a snare to them. The word snare means a trap designed to catch an animal to kill it. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. Even Solomon did that, did he not? And shed innocent blood. Just put abortion in your notes. The blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the isles of Canaan and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled. That word defiled is the Hebrew word tamay. It means unclean. They made themselves unclean before God by their own works. That word works is ma'aseh, meaning what they did with their hands. And played the deed, the harlot by their own deeds. That's the Hebrew word ma'alal. Harlot, a one who is unfaithful to the husband. He's talking about those who embrace idols. Well, they're supposed to be betrothed to the Lord our God. Verse 40. Therefore, What's therefore mean? Because they did all these things. The wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people. So that he abhorred his own inheritance. Abhorred. Do you see the word? It doesn't mean he was a little unhappy. He hated them. And he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles. And those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them. And they were brought in subjection under their land. 
And as Daniel suggested, we will now go to the book of Isaiah, one of my favorite books. Yep, and this can be for Pat too on Monday. Isaiah chapter 65 and 66. Isaiah 65 and 66. In chapter 65, let's start in verse 2. Yep. Oops, I have a chat out here which will give you time to get there. Let's see. Yep, kind of, Marco. It means that they were the first generation that God offered the opportunity to be his special betrothed. So Isaiah 65, starting in verse 2. I've stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people. What does it mean? Who walk in a way that is not good. Oh, I know what that means. According to their own thoughts, meaning what? They're not following God's commandments. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. A people who provoke me to anger continually to my face. Those very words in Hebrew. Picture he is so very angry that somebody's about to get smushed into the dirt. Okay? A people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens, that's idolatry. And gardens refer to groves of trees. And spend the night in the tombs, that's uncleanness. Who eat swine's flesh. And the broth of abominable things is in their vessel. These things, according to verse 3, provoke God to his face. Yes, Miss Melanie. Who said among the graves is uncleanness. It's unclean. When you go to a cemetery, you become unclean. So that's why the children of Israel won't go up and try and build the temple until they have the ashes of the red heifer so they can be cleansed from corpse uncleanliness. Because they're afraid if they step in the Holy of Holies while they have corpse uncleanness on them, that they will become crispy critters. <coughs> I don't say that they're wrong. They, they really can't even go through the Mount of Olives without becoming unclean, is that right? No, there's portions of the Mount of Olives you can go to that are not through the graveyards. Oh. Chapter 66 of Isaiah is the one that really brought it home to me. Because it says what's going to happen if you're eating a ham sandwich when the Lord returns. You're not going to finish it. You're not going to finish it, no. Verse 14 says, when you see, this is prophecy. Can words of a prophet be wrong if they're a true prophet of God? Then no. And this is yet future. 
But it's in the Old Testament. Yeah, so is a lot of future prophecy. Verse 14, when you see this, your heart shall rejoice, your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. The hand of the Lord is his protection, his blessings, and his indignation to his enemies. There's only two categories. Are you his servant or are you his enemy? That word for servant comes from the same verb, avad, that I keep mentioning. Do you do as God commanded? If so, you're his servant. If not, you are his enemy. For behold, the Lord will come with fire. What's fire always in prophecy? Judgment. And his chariots like a whirlwind. Whirlwind's a tornado. Back in those days, what stood when a tornado came through? The answer is nothing. To render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by sword the Lord will judge who? All flesh. And the slain of the Lord shall be many. Verse 17 says, who are the many? Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens. That's where they worship the idols. After an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh. What's a swine? A piggy. So maybe it's not a ham sandwich. How about a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit? Eating swine's flesh and abomination in the mouth shall be what? Consumed together, says the Lord. Meaning when the Lord returns in Revelation 19, those that are doing such things shall die. Is that to give them quick entrance into heaven? No, it is not. It is to give them quick entrance into the... Other place place that they won't like nearly so well. Boy, those verses really go against uh, most denominations' teaching about grace and mercy. Yeah. Let me show you, just since we're out of time anyway. I try to tell people they they think they call it sweet baby Jesus, okay, or something like that. And I said, do you not know who God is? Yeah. Go to Colossians 2. There are denominations out there that keep the Sabbath. But they will not keep the feasts and festivals. When you say, you keep the Sabbath, why don't you keep the feasts and festivals? They turn to Colossians 2 to verse 16 and say, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. They say, therefore, we don't have to keep the festivals or the new moons. Just the opposite. But you keep the Sabbath. Well, yes, of course, we have to. Mm-hmm. Isn't it in the same sentence? <laughs> yeah, doesn't have to make sense, I guess, to me. That's where we'll end for tonight. We will pick up next week, Lord willing, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 8.